say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the Addictive Podcast with your host, licensed mental health and addiction counselor, Glenn Marshall. Information is crucial. Experience the reality of both legal and illegal drugs from the mouths of those who take them. From the functioning drug user to the recovering addict who nearly lost his life. Understand why certain chemicals do what they do for better and for worse. It's time to get hooked to the The Addictive Addictive Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Addictive Podcast. My name's Glenn, and unfortunately, um, we won't be joined by Seth Fitzgerald from the Drug Classroom today. I'll be uh, taking this one solo. And uh, it's an exciting uh, time on the Addictive Podcast. Uh, We don't usually have uh, folks in sort of media and production, but today we have a director that is uh, releasing a new film. Uh, certainly related to our topic on the Addictive Podcast um, about, um, you know, a story. And it's a story about a young man and his struggle with opioid addiction. And um really look forward to kind of getting in this. I saw the film yesterday, and uh, the film was uh, very affecting, to say the least, to me. I see sort of some of uh, the views that I've sort of railed against in terms of policy and things like that. Um but uh, really looking forward to talking with this director and uh, getting a sense of um, her work. And the title of the film is called Written Off. And the director today is Molly Herman, who's actually worked uh, National Geographic, Discovery Channel, PBS, and done uh, a lot of uh, a lot of work like that before, I guess, moving into the, you know, sort of the documentary space about drugs. Is that accurate, Molly? Is it... Uh, have, has it always been documentaries or more like other types of content that you produce? What have you, uh, what has been your focus? Yeah, no, I've always been a documentary person, but uh, this is the first sort of project. It's actually my, my um, co-producer is my business partner, who's also a director of photography mm-hmm. and shot the film. His name's Rob Lyle. And so we've been, you know, making um, documentary programs for cable and um, for museums and for different um, client nonprofit clients for a long time together. And we've just for a long time been thinking, you know, we have all the tools, we really should do some things we're specifically interested in doing and Mm -hmm. things that could spread awareness. So this is our, this is our first uh, shot at that. Why, why addictions and sort of, you know, all this crazy world with drugs? I mean, it's, it's a strange one, Molly. It's not a, 
it's not necessarily a rational science based i mean it's a it's a very obscure field whether it be we're talking about the drugs themselves or you know the harms as a result of them or the or the sort of context of you know the legal framework around all that why uh why, why addiction why why did you want to go specific, like and i understand that kind of you and your partner you know wanted to get into something more you know um I, I guess I would say um, I don't know. It's it, the timing was right, but what for you personally was uh, sort of the driver around that? Yeah, well, you know, it seemed like one of those issues that you just uh, we started this a couple years ago, and it was an issue you just didn't stop hearing about. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a I had a cousin, um, my mom's sister's daughter, who died um, seventeen years ago when she was twenty of uh, heroin overdose. And in my family, the way that it was like we were missing the most important piece of information about what happened to her, mm. um, that that was, you know, uh, Emily would, we'd hear, you know, they were in on the West Coast, we were on the East Coast, and we would hear things like, oh, Emily went to jail, or Emily did this, or Emily broke into someone's house and stole their paycheck, or yeah. You know, we we hear a lot of things, and we just literally would be like, "God, oh, crazy, Emily! What is the deal? You know, yeah. what is going on?" And it was um, uh, obviously now I can tell you it was an addiction mm -hmm. issue, mm -hmm. but that just wasn't. Um, I don't know if it was the stigma, or if I think sometimes people don't re like realize um, that that's an all encompassing mm -hmm. secret. And has this huge pull, and it's not sort of something you pick up and put down in that yeah. situation. So we didn't see it that way. And, and then I have um, two friends in production who I worked with, um, have worked with for many years. And I worked with both of them when they had little kids and I had no kids. And each one of them has a son who got involved in this drug. Mm -hmm. And so it just sort of felt like something that was percolating and percolating. Yeah. And, um, yeah that we wanted to try and talk about. We missed, uh, you know, being in Hawaii, we missed a lot of that. The opioid addiction or sort of the opioid epidemic was, was, I mean, it never really broke out here like the way it did on the mainland. Um, you know, as you say all that, there's a couple of things. And even in the film that I wanted to pick apart a little bit, um, I hope by the end of this to convince you that, uh, you know, a lot of the harms, and, and I don't know if you know this about me, but but a lot of these harms that we talk about, um, you know, the lying, the stealing, you know, a lot of that. What? It, well, let me ask you, rather than just sort of pushing that on you, what, what, do you, where do you fit with sort of the the prohibition experience around drugs? And are you are you aware of sort of how opioid addiction is handled in other places or maintenance therapies? What is your sort of take on all that? You know about that well stuff? yeah i mean I, I probably know a little bit about it i'm not a i'm not an expert on addiction or on the policy surrounding drugs you mm -hmm. know i um my experience and the you know kind of s sort of knowledge i've gained on this project is that a lot of people are given um these really strong painkillers when yeah. they have a surgery usually um without a lot of guidance or warning and um some of the drug companies made their fortunes talking about how um, these drugs are not addictive. Yeah. And um, up until very recently, I think that was happening, still happening a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
dentists, people tell me all the time, you know, that, um, that that's happening. And then I think people, you know, in my story, um, my main character, Matt, he didn't get addicted from his painkillers, um, that he got for his, he had a toe surgery actually, Mm -hmm. but he got introduced to them that way. Other people I think do get truly, um, you know, kind of unavoidably tangled up in those drugs from that situation. And, um, I was just going to say, being active in the field, you know, not only as treatment provider, but also as a policy advocate and things like that, I see in your film breakdowns. And what's so frustrating for me is I know the alternatives, right? And and that's that's what's most painful. And I, I would imagine, you know, fam, Matt's mother might actually listen to this and all that stuff. And, you know, I didn't want to come off as, as um, you know, harsh or anything like that but there there i i see so many levels of opportunity to to help that guy i mean i and i get real passionate about this stuff too right it drives me crazy to be quite honest with you um you know and and yeah i guess that's what um I guess that's what was so difficult for me in the film was was that I I see areas of of, of intervention. You know, you have someone there with with you know. Well, let's get back to first of all the doctor issue, right? So, number one on the on the over prescribing thing, um, that is such a huge problem. Um, and 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 make no mistake, I'm not anti drug as much as I'm a drug counselor. Um, they're molecules. They're neither good nor bad. They're you know certainly opioids are habit forming and all that. Um, but the but the but the mismanagement around the opioids, and I don't know how much you know about this, but but one of the biggest concerns to me in your film was not so much well the opioids certainly, but the benzodiazepines, right? So mm-hmm. I, now, are you aware of sort of the role of benzodiazepines and sort of things, right? Your Valiums, your Xanax, and do you know about sort of those sort those drugs? Well, I know that he was really like a had sort of a lot of knowledge of pharmaceuticals and that he was always trying yeah. to kind of achieve this mix that right. was perfect for him. Sure. Yeah. So, 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 you know, your benzos are, you know, that's your, that's your inhibitory neurotransmitter system, right? Your GABA system. And, you, you know, it's sort of activating that and it takes down the stress and it's taking down the tension and taking down the anxiety. The only thing is when you, First of all, when you have a withdrawal experience on benzos, you know, that and alcohol are two of the only drugs that that really you need to look seriously about a medical detox for because you can have major seizure activity. So, do you in in your film there was a scene where he is um he's he's sort of um he's becoming delusional, right? And he's you know, thinking the cops are out to get him. That is so sort of typical of benzodiazepine um withdrawal and and that type of experience so as much as he had that opioid addiction going on the benzodiazepine you know you have that accompanying that and then you really talk about even a, a much increased risk of overdose right so so the mixing right you have so you sure you have that sed, that sedation but 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 the respiratory depression aspect and you hear him talking about that like when he's when he's shooting or whatever and that flash as he calls it um so man that cocktail who the frick was the doctor who was like you know i i, I mean uh, yeah. that, that i think so there that were was, was at all times for heart. oh sorry at all times for him there were a lot of doctors and there was yeah. no sort of sharing of information. 
another policy breakdown. No, okay. no cohesive, um, you know, statewide database to see what what any one person is doing or using. And so, of course, he's doctor shopping and getting all these different things. Right, you know? and then, you know, I actually he's not in the film, but I did interview his local pharmacist, mm-hmm. and because oh, I was, job. you know. I was curious about not the pharmacy. He he does at one point plan to rob a pharmacy Mm -hmm. and it was uh, a different one in the same chain. It was actually the guy I talked to's wife was the main pharmacist at the one that was planned to be robbed. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talked about that quite a bit and he didn't really end up fitting into the story, but I mean, he really believed that Matt was a very sick kid. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think Matt's addiction story uh, kind of came in front of a lot of the knowledge that people are are starting to have now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't like a tired out story when he was telling it. A lot of his sickness, and that's another thing we see, is that, you know, it's so intertwined with even the, the, the sort of low level and acute withdrawal experience, right? So if I have if I have chronic pain and I've been given opioids and eventually you know, those opioids are sort of maybe diminishing effect or I have to stop using them or whatever. I mean, you have this massive experience of pain and discomfort. And so generally your nerves and, you know, you're hurting, you know, and you hear, you know, folks with opioid addiction use that term. And, and so, so to try to tease out sort of the, the legitimate illness and, and difficulty from sort of the addiction, very difficult to do, especially the physiological component of it, right? So, yeah, and yeah. I, th- I think he had kind of, I think this might be common, what I've but you learned. Is that real quick, but you should have smacked the pharmacist for prescribing so many freaking benzos in the context of all those opioids. I mean, I just don't know where those guys are coming from when they're seeing that. I know, and I think maybe kind of a, a big city pharmacist might have mm-hmm. had a different thing, but this is a town where there's a long relationship. He was prescribing yeah. for grandma and for mom and for dad and for Matt and for the cousin, and you know, it was an, a known thing. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things where it's like everybody figures this is somebody else's job. Yes, great point. So, you know, he was doing his job. I mean, he literally told me some story about how once Matt was so desperate that he came in, like, uh, I forget when the pharmacy was closed or when it was snowing to help him out. Like he really took his job as being a pharmacist as you know, keeping his customers healthy seriously. And he absolutely had no, he was not complicitous in this at all. He thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah. There's such a momentum too. I would imagine even with the pharmacist, right? You're kind of prescribing. And again, you know, a lot of folks will talk about addiction being like, oh, I tried it once and I was addicted. That's not true. And, and what I like about that in the film is, is he kind of speaks to that, right? You know, at first he sort of, he gets the experience, but then you see sort of the habit form and the different factors around his environment kind of build up. You know what I mean? And 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 another important part is you see the interplay between the biopsychosocial factors and his uh, and his addiction, right? You see him get the job. You see potentially drug use pull back. You see him lose his supports or meaning or purpose or, or fulfillment type of activities. And then you see the drug use increase. Right. You see that interplay. Right. So it's it's I'm always trying to emphasize, you know, not about the drug. It's about the relationship with the drug. You know, some people mm-hmm. use, you know, opioids, uh, you know, for a very long time with, with absolutely no problem at all. Other folks, they have a different definitely a different experience with it. 
you know, you have all sorts of protective life fulfilling sort of things that can be very offsetting to addiction. Um, so yeah, I mean, what a classic story and all this takes place in Wisconsin, right? Yeah, it does. You know, and, um, I think it's, it's funny cause you think of a really rural place as a place, you know, as his mom says in the film, like a great place to raise kids, wholesome. Yeah. It's also a place where people are really bored. Yes. I mean, if I was really bored it, in the suburbs of DC as a high schooler, we were bored enough to drink an inch off every bottle out of every parent's liquor cabinet. Right. You know, um, we were so bored. And I think that that's really, honestly, I think that's something you can actively work on to keep your kids safe is just don't let them roam around in complete boredom. Oh, Molly, you got it. I, I mean, so that's what all the new science says, right? As much as they're sort of focused, you know, on these specific drug types, what we're really seeing is that whether it be, and there's two, there's two sort of competing modern philosophies, right? I don't subscribe to the disease model of addiction at all. It seems to be a more spectrum type disorder that sort of goes and um, but we but we see um, we see two two sort of competing pieces. We see number one the idea of external rewards, right? Simply having a, a diverse, uh, you know, uh, when you have competency, when you have um, belongingness, when you have uh, you know uh, just all the sort of things that make life enriching. Oh, and that's the phone. Let's make sure I kill that. Um, so, so between those two things, between sort of this, these rewards, and then the other sort of philosophy on that is that it's sort of trauma-based and I disagree with the trauma-based. I think there can be different, I think addiction fits in different ways for different people. Some people, it may be more the stimulation aspect and, Hey, I got nothing else to do in the boredom and other folks would be trauma. I, the reason I don't subscribe to the trauma thing is, is sort of like what Dr. Stanton Peel says is, you know, everybody sort of has trauma. Everyone sort of has these experiences. But just like what you're saying, when life becomes flat and purposeless and valueless and, you know, you're going there and you're cooking, you know, a fry cook or whatever, and it's just sort of empty, you know, wow, what a great place to put drugs to sort of provide a fulfilling, rewarding experience, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think he I think that just entertainment was the way that he got in. And I also think he and I've heard this a lot that um, this this is a problem that seems to happen to like the really um, kind of like uh, in crowd, um, super uh, confident kids who are fearless. Mm -hmm. And then the other group that I hear about a lot are like sort of like my main character, Matt, you know, the kind of awkward, not comfortable mm -hmm. in their skin kids. And I think he found that it was really an effective social crutch and yes. made him uh, fearless. And so I, I think later on, though, the the sort of relationship between the sort of drudgery of his life, sort of bleakness of living in Wisconsin in the winter, especially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and and then by then he was so deep into it and so depressed every yeah. time he would stop doing it that I think it became really physical. But definitely in the beginning, I think it was just um, sort yeah. of a sort of like high school anxiety cure. Yeah. Well, you see it like you described it, like it, it almost becomes more entrenched and then sort of the identity, you know, you, you really start to identify. If there's one thing about addiction, it's funny, I'm, I'm actually just coming out of sessions today, but, um, you know, addicts, are, or and I don't even like to use that word, to be honest with you, but folks with addiction, 
um, they don't really believe that they can necessarily live without a substance. Oh, who is that? A cat or a person or a daughter no, or my, a son? That's my daughter. Hi, daughter. I think she wants my phone. Hold <laughs> that's on. Okay. No, that's okay. Um, it's a podcast. No here. sweat, man. Sorry. Do whatever you got to do. Um, so they often, you know, you get into addiction and you don't really believe there's any way out beyond that. You know, you, you almost don't remember what it felt like to, to not be using, you mm -hmm. know, and, and it's such a trick because you can, you can absolutely, if you're, if abstinence is your goal and you get clean, it, you, you sort of wake up to who you were and you're like, I'm okay. And, you know, and maybe some of those issues still exist there, whether it be depression or anxiety or whatever. And certainly Matt you know, might've been dealing with those, but man, um, you know, you can offset those and, and you saw when he gets clean. I love, I love in the film where he goes, um, you know, mom asked me anything. I'll mm -hmm. tell you the truth. He was so Molly, this is what, oh, frick Molly. I told you I need to trigger works on this. <laughs> it breaks my heart to sort of, you know, as, as much as the, the aspect of that was about how he lies and da da da. You know, I don't believe any of that stuff. So, you know, I believe, I believe that people, especially with addiction, lie because it works for them at the time. Because this whole experience is about seeking and obtaining that drug. Now, if that could be done safely and cleanly like it is in so many other countries or like it is here now with Suboxone or Methadone or whatever, um, you know, potentially we could have satiated those, those sort of neurons, right? And, and sort of allow him the experience about, you know, backing off the lying and backing off all the, you know, the stealing and backing off those behaviors, you know, satiating the, the sort of dependency and then allowing him to start building back in things like potentially jobs or life or. Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, it is, I mean, yeah. I think that, uh, I think, uh, well, it's really interesting because he was addicted for like 10 years, like 15 to 25. Yeah. And that was his entire adult life that yeah. for his entire adult life, it was really, really formed and shaped by this. And I think, um, I don't think that lying or plotting crimes mm -hmm. was his true self at all. Mm. Um, and he despised himself for it. And I think yeah. that that's, That's so important the... to note that too. He was not like, "Hey, I'm loving my lifestyle." He was miserable. Oh, he was miserable. And I, for me, the other thing was, you know, I, I mean, when I so I found so th this whole thing sort of began because I was doing a lot of research and I found this uh, kind of like memory wall to people who had passed away. And I found his picture and I found his mother's blog and his mom Jane had. Um, been required to start a blog as part of her like master's in communication. So mm, she told me later when, once I met her, like I just couldn't face like a gardening or a cooking blog, although she is amazing cook. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, if I was going to have to do it, I would have to do something I cared about. And so she started publishing these journals. And um, when I started reading them, I just felt like I had never had a, I, I had never really had a window in to a real experience. Um, and also sh sh her perspective was so interesting and valuable because she'd kind of gone through this whole thing and looked back on it. And she had really gathered this, you know, following on this little blog that was never advertised or anything of people who saw themselves in the journals. And that, that was super mm -hmm. heartbreaking too. You know, people would say like, 
I have two kids and I'm in this exact position and I can barely take care of myself. And, and she would come back at them with like such affirmation, which I figured out was probably the one thing they never got from anyone and mm -hmm. definitely was the thing that was missing from Matt. Um, he told, he told all the people at a Walmart where he worked that he had cancer right. and, um, he had, this wasn't in the film, but he went back there once with, um, his friend, uh, his best friend, Rose, who was, who's in the movie. And, um, everybody said, Oh, Matt, how are you? And gave him hugs and how are you feeling? And how's your treatment? And, you know, she told me that that was like such an epiphany for her, that that was the sort of care and empathy that mm -hmm. he never got for what was actually wrong with him. Oh, um, yeah, she, she, uh, so mom fully, and I, I made actually notes about your film and that was, that was amazing watching her. And, and, and again, I'm not a conventional sort of treatment provider, make no mistake. My, I, I, I've sort of adopted this model from harm reduction. Uh, this guy, Kenneth Anderson, who talks about better is better. You take wherever the client is at and take the next step. And by the end of the film, you hear mom say, if I would, you know, you don't approach folks with addiction and you don't criticize, you know, criticize or sort of go after, you know, you maintain the connection. She's all about that and she gets it. And nobody typically gets that with addiction. You know, you see the, 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 the big letter writing campaign and we're all going to sit in a circle and read that. Molly, you should know there's no science behind that at all. That entire model of show is bullshit. <clears throat> Okay, mm -hmm. it's bullshit and it's not always where the clients are at and it's a great way to t potentially alienate and make things worse. Now I'm all for effective in like interventions and all that, but but th that that idea of we're going to gather around and we're going to get them and that is such a crock of shit. And 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 it's uh, you know, it it's just absolutely harmful in a lot of cases. So so to see her go from that all the way to if I would have known that you know, engagement was the name of the game at whatever, whatever that would take. She gets it. And I actually have a great resource for her, by the way. Um, yeah. And, and for you as well, if you want to ever check out, um, the, the, you know, all the mothers who are sort of like uh, Matt's mom and all that, check out, um, if you're on Facebook, Families for Sensible Drug Policy. Mm -hmm. And okay. that is, and that is a lot of the mothers who have gone through the same experience who say the same thing. If I would have only known that, um, excluding or stigmatizing and, and all the reactivity again, you know, the reactivity around this stuff, people, they see someone using drugs. They, you know, I, I, I'll often work with parents, you know, they reach into the big playbook and they pull out, um, okay, flip out, right. And then they flip <laughs> out on the kid and, 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 you know, of course this mom was very engaging or whatever, and I'm not talking about enabling and I'm not talking about allowing, you know, your life to go down the tubes because you're living with someone with an active addiction, but the idea of, of sort of pushing in ways that are problematic or alienating, um, is absolutely the wrong thing to do. And we see that even in policy, right? Whether it be schools, you know, over here in Hawaii, it used to be suspend for 90 days if you get busted with a bag of pot. Well, I can tell you about sitting on the beach over here for 90 days in some of the areas of Oahu that can be extremely problematic. And if you want to exacerbate an addiction and make things worse, go ahead and drive that person out of their job, of potentially their sports and school, of their of any meaningful positive connection. And mom got that at the end. And I was I was dreading 
that the film <laughs> was going to be all focused on sort of the drug, right? I was worried about that because that's the conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom is opioids are bad, um, you know, stay away from opioids. And that is not the message. The, the, the message is it is this complete interplay between the individual and their biopsychosocial experience. And, and those things vary tremendously, right? Mm -hmm. Depending and they oscillate and people go in addictions and out of addictions and have new patterns of addictions and all of that stuff. So mom gets it at the end. And I'm just like, she's like, if only I would have known. (laughs) I know. Well, you know, the thing that's hard though, and I hope that we sort of show this is that, um, you're, you're not reading the journals all along and he's like kind of a master pretender. And so from the outside, that's the part I didn't like about him, by the way. He's yeah, self-aggrandizing well, and a little bit, there's a little bit of narcissistic in there and it's all about him. And as much as I love him on that stage, there, there's a little bit of a spoiled brat in there that I sort of wanted to choke out. But, aside from that, I know, I know. but aside from that part He's, of him. But you know, we kind of liked that because it's like anybody can love a puppy, you know, yeah. like that wasn't, the idea was a normal person, you know, yeah. and I think that, um, yeah, I think that love a puppy. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I think that no matter how close you were to him, even as his mother's best friend or his girlfriend, you're, you're listening to what he tells you, you care about him. So you trust him to Mm -hmm. a certain extent. And the reason that people are reactive is that they're, they literally are reacting to bad things that happen and they don't happen constantly. So, you know, Jane told me a story about she was getting married and Matt, who had been seemingly doing fine, came home for the weekend, um, crazy high, acting crazy, wearing a dirty shirt, insisting on coming to the ceremony, wearing a dirty shirt, super high, crazy, insisting on staying at the house, even though it was like their honeymoon night. I mean, right. Like, but he had been fine or faking fine, you know? And so that's why from the outside, it's very difficult to have kind of consistent and reasonable reactions. Yeah. I mean, he, he sort of, and again, I don't, if you're listening to this, uh, please, you know, but, but, you know, he, 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 he's a bit of a, a baby in that. You know what I'm saying? And sort of he's got a little bit of a tantruming type style. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and again, I I mean that's very typical in addiction, whatever, and, and just but but I sort of see that part being so conducive to him. And you know what's another thing, and just like you were saying, like back in the DC by the way, is that where you live, DC? Uh-huh. Okay, so my, my mom is right out in the plains of Virginia. I okay. next yeah, I'll be over there Christmas and in the summer. So if we can ever, you know, meet, that's always cool. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so, so those sort of personality and, and type behaviors, there was a lot of isolation in, in not only, so not only in his experience, like in town, but, um, I mean, he sort of, that, that's kind of a myth we all have. If you look at sort of addiction and exacerbation of, exacerbation of addiction, I mean, we all kind of live alone in a way right now, right? We all live in our little boxes. Like I live in a place right here. It's like townhomes. I don't know any of my neighbors. We say hi. We don't have intimacy. We don't have connection. We're not sharing food. All these great Hawaiian values, which the place I live here, I was on Big Island for a while, but over here it's sort of, you can just assume be in the military village and people coming and going and nobody knows anybody. Well, that's a great way to be addicted. You know what I'm saying? And so to to see his sort of, you know, a little bit of the self-aggrandization, but like 
it's sort of all, you know focused on him and he doesn't really have you know people around him that would have been the biggest concern for me as a treatment provider is like i got to get this guy connected with like something mm-hmm. some some and again that doesn't always have to be 12 step by the way that can be any number of positive social supports where you feel the following you feel competent you or you feel uh yeah you feel competent you feel purpose-filled you feel valued value's a big one when you're in a group and you feel valued that's a great way to screw up your addiction dude i mean it really you know getting that accountability is hey we want to you know bring you hey where were you on friday or we expected you you know all those types of things and he would and again i guess again the the town was what it was but man there was so much of him that was like go it alone you know mm, i think he- I think, you know, that he was always a little bit of an oddball and yeah. kind of like... Um, well, he's cool as shit. I mean, he's a super cool guy. And like, like an intellectual and he, yeah. you know, he only lived in um, Oshkosh, or sorry, he only lived in Madison for a couple of weeks, but I um, talked to his uh, neighbor and hung out with her and she said that he was so literate and wanted to come and, you know, hang in an, her hammock on her porch and smoke yeah. cigarettes and talk about like you know, whatever, whatever classic he was reading at the moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think he sort of comes off as pretentious only. I think he was from such a small town. He didn't Mm -hmm. even know he was being pretentious. That was just his thing. And he was just a really unique person, but I think that that was isolating. I think he had sadly at the end of his life, he ended up in a place, a a university town for the first time, you know, in a meaningful way. And I think that was, that was a place where he could have actually been happy. Wouldn't it have been awesome to nurture those strengths, right? And that's the way you always approach these things is to really begin nurturing like what he's um, best at. Oh, there you go. It froze for a little bit. But um, yeah, so you start. So for example, treatment planning for Matt, right? So we want to get him. I'd love to maybe get him back in a theater, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and or maybe, wow, you have all these skills, maybe even teaching young kids, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sort of and because there's an incredible amount of rewarding experience and, and, and as an addiction offset when you're that idea of giving back, you know, 12 step is kind of even into that or, or re- sort of, you know, more religious or spiritual philosophies kind of around that. But that is an incredibly powerful reward when you're like giving back to others or helping others. And they're like, thanks, Matt, man, you know, God, that was great. And the way you did this, and I really appreciate your performance. And now, and you see others getting better as a result of your hard work, which I guess is probably why you're a producer, right? I mean, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, the thing I think was really lovely about him is, yeah. and you can tell this from reading his journals was that he really rooted for all of the people he cared about in his life. Mm. And it didn't matter that his, it didn't, it didn't affect his feelings that his mm-hmm. life was so disappointing. You know, um, mm. that's why we've sort of made sure to tell that little story about his best friend Rose going to college and how proud he was of her because yeah. he really was. He really was had such a kind soul and such a generous guy that he he really rooted for the people who were doing well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that his kind of, you know, he got really changed by this experience of having to always hide this secret. But yeah. to me, that's what he was really about, mm-hmm. um, because not a lot of people would have a life, you know, in the crapper like that and yeah. and really be rooting for their friends who just bought a house or just had a baby or just got into college privately yeah. in his journal. Not not just to be polite. Yeah, no, he he's this fundamental, like good person with a habit. 
you know yeah. so so i so I wonder what it would have been like to to satiate that habit and allow sort of these you know I don't know if you know about this. you ever hear of heroin assisted treatment? I think I have heard of that so so, so what do you what do you think happens if we give someone with a major heroin addiction free clean heroin? What do you think would happen to that person? I don't know i mean i think I think Matt was looking for that when he was trying to rob mm-hmm. a pharmacy right you know? so you so you know what happens when you give free clean heroin in a in a safe clinic setting over time? You typically quit heroin. Do you know why? Because it's freaking boring. Because a huge <laughs> part of addiction is the oscillation between getting super high and crashing and the and what do we know about reinforcement, right? That intermittent reinforcement or dude, the dealer's not calling me back and the, the, the tension around that and then achieving the reward and all of that oscillation is so nuts. So what they do in places like Switzerland or even Vancouver, they have this. I, I think Germany might even. Uh, lots of folks are doing this. Is this give clean diacetylmorphine heroin? They go into the clinic. They typically can admit they can receive a dose of clean heroin three times of um, up to three times a day. You know how many overdoses they have there? Zero, zero overdose. No overdose. Right. And and what you usually see is after about a period of two years, people transitioning into something like methadone. So they're going from this three times a day short acting opioid to a once a day, again, maintaining, as you know, with tolerance like Matt, he's not really getting high. He's just trying to get well. And so literally these people start building life back into their world and then they migrate off the heroin and they get on methadone potentially even going further or getting on some, you know, suboxone or something like that. And suddenly the dependence being satiated allows other life to emerge, right? I mean, I think, I think that I'm glad to know that there are sort of strategies, but I think for him, you know, he got sort of 28 days out of prison and there, you know, there just weren't resources for him. Yeah. Yeah, I I think you're entirely right on that. And and also these are things that people don't really know. So so we approach these guys like and this always breaks my heart in treatment. Again, a lot of my policy stuff is sort of coming through here and, and you know, I'm sort of hooked up with Drug Policy Alliance and all that. But, you know, we have this myopic this super myopic view. It's so narrow of like abstinence only. And this actually, I need to like seriously give grief to his friend at the end of that, who says at the end of her, at the end of the film, what, what's it, what's the not, uh, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, but what, what is his friend's name? The girl? Oh, Rose. Okay. So Rose, you're out there, Rose, Rose. The goal, if you have someone dealing with addiction or on drugs, is not to, quote unquote, get them off of drugs. This is the great myth. This is this is a, a deadly approach, okay? The goal, when you have someone who's on drugs, first and foremost, safety and stabilization. That's the goal, okay? So a lot of times you even look at folks who go into residential treatment their potential risk for overdose when they leave residential treatment is vastly increased of of death okay so you have like it's like an 800% increase or some some kind of nutty thing like that because their tolerance drops off and whatever so so 
At the end of the film, when she's talking about getting someone off drugs, don't try to get them off drugs. Make sure they are – if they are not at the place where abstinence is in their goal or in their framework, you have this whole spectrum of possible options from – from. and again, Matt didn't necessarily have access. And who the hell knows this unless you're like an addictions provider? Nobody knows this stuff. you know. So the idea of getting him stable on something like methadone, right? Like, Matt, keep using, but let's make sure you have – clean needles let's make sure when you're using you're around other people or around even the mom you know you talked about that secretive issue that is one of the first things that i try to screw up in treatment is that whole little secretive routine that comes around you know using you got to kind of hike yourself off to the basement and then you kind of get your little works out and you kind of do your thing a lot of that shit is driven by the stigma, right? You can't necessarily use heroin in front of your mom, but I am telling you that that would have been a fucking incredibly safe practice, right? To start bringing the drug use out of the shadows, to to instill safe practices, to ideally that dumbass pharmacist should have had a freaking vial of Narcan for every person that ever interacts with that guy, right? Except for it wasn't even invented. Oh, it wasn't back. Right. So, no. so, well, I mean, now, I mean, yeah, I totally hear you. I mean, I think that, I, I think that what she's saying, um, it isn't about, uh, instant abstinence and she did. And a lot of people who watched the film really criticized this. She did what you're talking about, you know, for a long time. Like she says, well, I don't know anything about it. And it seemed normal for him and, mm. you know, and she, and he did do it in front of her. Um, mm-hmm. And she did spend many nights talking to him on the phone and keeping him awake and uh, Ugh, other that, see, other that's even kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. And other things that were supportive in the sense that yeah. with no resources and without anybody else, without anybody else, but her in a role of actually knowing, Yeah, you know, and, and then, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was really hard for her. She didn't, she, she comes off as really poised and I educated. I think she's sweetie. I think and she's great, awesome. But yeah. at the time she was nope. also a kid. I mean, she was his peer. She was also 19 or yeah. whatever, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, right. I think it's really, it's really complicated and she didn't want to get him in jail and he did end up getting himself in jail, which made his life a hundred times harder. Yeah. Um, hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, uh, it's, I mean, I, I think it's important to know that yeah. it's complicated. You yeah, know? you're right. I mean, you know, people just don't know about this. I mean, the prevailing wisdom has been stop drugs, abstinence based, right? It's it's a it's a very dangerous approach to to sort of only look at the goals of improvement through that lens. And you funnily know, enough, he con- consistently tried to do that for himself. I mean, he would write through his journal, you know, okay, let's get off drugs now. Uh, day one, nothing. Yeah. Day two, and then he would always you know, relapse, he would never be able to make it more than nine or 10 or 11 days. Yeah, which is funny, because that's pretty, you know, it's interesting about that. When you talk about nine, you know, that's pretty far out. That's actually typically past the opioid addiction. And that's why I think that what probably was coming up around that period a lot was the benzodiazepines, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of sort of this protracted with, you know, or maybe not even protracted, but the sort of this you know, you know, post, it's not even post acute. I mean, nine day window, right? So you're, you're coming off your benzos, you're sort of getting all this anxiety, it's sort of flooding back in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can see that being a big part of going, you know, nuts 
uh, I, I, I had a, yeah, I mean, there's, there's folks over here I know who, um, you know, they, they, they come off of benzos and they just go crazy, you know? So a lot of that seems like not only the opioids, but the benzodiazepines. And did he, did he wasn't a big drinker or what was his alcohol use like? Not too big. I mean, I think he would write it down, mm-hmm. but he wasn't a huge drinker. Well, the, the Valiums uh, are going to satiate all that that same system, right? That yeah, same I don't think he, system. I don't think he had the money to do a lot of drinking um, mm-hmm. on top of everything else. But yeah. uh, but he would smoke some pot and he would mm-hmm. write it all down. You know, I think that yeah. what would happen when he would try to go on those little kind of drug-free binges is that he would just get so depressed. And by the time he sort of got... Uh, semi-clean, he would realize there was nothing to live for, and then he would end right. up doing drugs again. And um, <sighs> yeah, it was just a cycle. Oh man, I wish I so, wish he could have gotten something to to sort of make him comfortable through that period. That's a that's a that's a real another real aspect of sort of drugs and treatment. The idea of of making the transition, whether it be on or off, safer and easier, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm new to drugs, I want to use as little drugs as possible, safe, you know, safety based. At the same time, if I'm quitting drugs, I want to have that transition as comfortable as possible. You know, it used to be where we do detoxes, and it was like, oh, look, he's really kicking. You know, kicking is because your freaking legs are kicking, right? Mm-hmm. And you're spasming, mm-hmm. and you're, uh, you know, you're freaking out. Um, we we used to look at that as like what a badge of honor. That's so great. He has this terrible detox, and now he, uh, you know, he sure won't want to go back to that. Well, that's all bullshit. <laughs> we find that out. So, so if you can make it as comfortable as possible for, don't listen, daughter. I need to see her over there listening. To those. Oh, you got the headphones. That's hear. good. That's good. What that's good. Uh, so. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. So the so that idea of transitioning on or off safely is mm-hmm. critical. It's a dangerous that's a super dangerous period whenever whenever you're doing that, right? Even when you're clean, you go back to using super dangerous when you're when you're on a drug coming off, uh, dangerous, you know, for risk of overdose and all sorts of other things. You know. Yeah, so. and you know, he he moves to sort of a bigger city and overdoses because yeah. he's you know, all his sort of normal parameters have changed. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to, and uh, how, how much time you want to keep it sort of your normal hour or I would talk to you for a long time. <laughs> I yeah. can spend a little more time. Okay. So let's say, so we talked about sort of, you know, one of the lines, lying, stealing, pregnancy, abortion, jail, living on the streets have just been symptoms of the bigger problem of addiction. I, I wanted to just argue a little bit about with you that, that, you know, that's not symptoms of addiction. Those are symptoms of addiction under prohibition, right? That's typically what you see. So you might have some, some person who's involved with alcohol who's minimizing that or, you know, denying that or whatever. You know, you get that to that degree. But a lot of these symptoms that you talk about with the lying and stealing, that is survival in the age of prohibition. When you stabilize someone on safe opioids, you don't see that behavior. As a matter of fact, if you really want to get crazy, you go back a hundred years, you don't see anything like that with addiction. Addiction almost wasn't even talked about because it was sort of the stable pattern. You go to your doctor, you get your morphine or heroin, right? I mean, straight up. I, I mean, you're talking same drug um, and you would, you might be addicted and you might be nodding out and you might be, oh man, they're, you know, wasting their life because they're addicted, but you wouldn't see all these crazy clusters of dangerous and illegal behaviors, which is why prohibition makes this whole problem so much more dangerous and worse, right? 
Well, let me ask you this because, you know, one of his issues was his tolerance built up so much over time. Yes. He had to, you know, I think at one point his mom says he would write about like going through the day and eating eight Valiums. Yeah. You know, so I think one of the issues that I don't, I guess I don't know how to um, factor into that is the immense amount or the strength of the drugs that he felt that he required. Uh, apparently uh, as equal strength to his uh, neurochemistry, which was able to sort of process that through. And, and so your your receptors are down-regulating, right? So so I forget how it works exactly, but either it's your, your – so your sort of synaptic da- gap and your nerves will grow a greater amount of receptors. So the same amount of drug doesn't necessarily activate as easily, right? So, it's, so the body can accommodate all that. So as much as it seems like high-dose, low-dose, we used to go through this in methadone. Those words don't mean anything. What matters is a safety profile of taking the drug, um, one that is not, you know, causing so much inebriation. The person can't function, right? They're not super high. The body doesn't like that. It tries to get back in homeostasis and reduces the sensitivity to that. Um, At the same time, not so low that the person is you know, irritated or it's ineffective. So, so even though it seems like a quote unquote, a lot, sure for a normal person, but for him, it was probably just taking the edge off, you mm-hmm. know, and, 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 and you see that with opioid addicts, you know, most opioid addicts who aren't using other drugs like alcohol or benzos, those GABA agonists, you know, to repress breathing even further, um, you know, you overdose is not common at all on a, on a pure sort of stri- strictly opioid diet. Um, you don't usually see that. It's it's usually the poly substance that that sort of puts that over the edge. Um, most people with a high opioid tolerance, it's freaking hard to kill those guys. To be quite honest <laughs> with you, um, but uh, but combine it with alcohol and benzos, and you have the perfect combination. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so he's he's just a, he is the perfect. You know what I liked about your film, also Molly, is it was so typical and like common and there was like an innocence to it you know what i mean he 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 didn't rob the bank you know what i mean he's like (laughs) yeah yeah you know i feel like he i feel like his outward self and who he really was and believed that he was um you know even when he would say i think the whole time he was in prison he claimed he wasn't planning to rob a pharmacy but you know you've seen the film you've heard the tape he really was um And, and the thing is, once I sort of got into his story, I realized, boy, that really would be the answer to all your prayers. You could Mm. have all the drugs in the pharmacy. Mm. You would be, you would be so happy for so much longer than you could be happy without them. So at least until the guys you were with robbed you, which was, well, probably, but you know, like, I understand why that would be like, you know, um, what you would wish for if you had a magic lamp, you know, but I think, um, I, I, I just, thought it was it was so um uh it, to, to me i'm always really interested in sort of like well what is evil and and where how do people get bad or how do people mm-hmm. do bad things and you know are you made that way or do you become that way and and you know he did a lot of really bad things um and trying to kind of dig in and understand that like to what? Me was what was really the bad things that he did I mean, he told the his girlfriend who loved him, you know, crazy lies, manipulated her, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, she believed he was dying of cancer. That was, I that, mean, you're right. That was pretty shitty. That was shitty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and he, did, but I really do understand why he did it. And she now yes. really does understand why he did it. Right. Um, I mean, that's, that's a bad, that's a, that's a bad, um, that's a bad lie. And that's a real betrayal that, yes. and he couldn't, he couldn't tell her the truth. Obviously mm-hmm. he didn't feel like he could, but, um, you know, when you think you have a relationship with someone where you're super honest and that is hugely missing yes. from the conversation, that's pretty bad. I mean, he did a lot of other things like the time he went to Walmart and told everybody he was had cancer. He was also there to steal yeah. a expensive camera, you know, like he just constantly did one thing, uh, robbing the, the, um, the liquor store where he worked. Mm-hmm. He was constantly sort of in a cycle of betraying people who cared about him and helped him. And, and, um, and he couldn't really help it. And I think, I think you come out at the end understanding him and not just thinking that he was awful. And that, that's sort of what we wanted to talk about. I mean, imagine the experience, right? He's going through all those things. He probably, and, and morally, I think he's probably very clear on those, you know, on, on what that really means to have done some of those things. I, I picture him, you know, walking into that store and being like, I have cancer. And like you were saying, the response that he got from everybody on that, um, God, that must have felt good to him, you know, for mm-hmm. once, like they weren't, you know, here we have another quote unquote condition, right? Like cancer or addiction or whatever we're talking about that sort of screws up a person. And, uh, and you know, God, if we only responded to addiction in the way they responded to cancer, you know, Matt, you have addiction. We totally get it. It's okay. Do you have clean drugs? Are you safe? Okay. Come over to my, you know, how can we, you know, the, I mean, look at the difference in sort of societal response. And we know that that exclusion, like we talked about, is only going to make it worse. But yet, oh, I have a drug addiction. Oh, all of a sudden I'm this fricked up guy who nobody will hire and get him away from me because of all these behaviors versus, oh, you have cancer. Oh, I feel so bad for you. We'll all gather around and save money. I mean, it's it sucks. You know, both are clearly, you know, these conditions and. One gets this response, but because for some reason we stigmatize drugs and we stigmatize drug users and we do all this other stuff and we avoid them. And he get once he got labeled in any one of those towns, I mean, he's doomed, right? You're always mm-hmm. sort of that guy. And, um, you know, I mean, what's the alternative? He doesn't get money. He gets sick. He, he has seizures. He doesn't have Valiums. He's, you know, shaken out of his skin, you know? Mm-hmm. So here he is just moving around, trying to exist on planet Earth, trying to be well, you know? And, and Yeah. The yeah. other point I really liked um, that his friend Rose made was that, well, I think in his mom too, just that, you know, reading his journals, you realize how hard, how much harder he had to work and he had to try. Oh, yeah. It's to, amazing to, the output, right? I, I, that's what yeah. the addiction is like. Oh, my yeah. God, you guys can keep this up. I mean, the hustle right. is, is is shocking. I mean, he was working like at McDonald's and Pizza Hut, working double shifts and still getting food from the food pantry because he could barely pay his rent and buy drugs. Yeah. And and he knew he was like riding a stationary bike, you know, like he was never getting anywhere he was so frustrated with himself. He had to deal with all the like crazy frustrations of working two fast food jobs, which you know would not be that easy. Must suck. And be <laughs> surrounded by other people who are not having an easy time. Yeah. And 
you know, yeah, just the kind of, I, I ended up with like really a respect for his grit, I guess. Oh, yeah. And, and, the, and the potential, all that energy and the potential that, that, mm-hmm. that was there, you know, and, and again, we're just talking about a habit. You know, a habit hooked into this chemical that you feel better on. And of course, that for a while until it sort of doesn't work and you get all these other problems and the pain returns and all the complexities with opioids, um, which hopefully can be dealt with medically and whatever. But um, but yeah, I, I, I it's it's just it's almost like the most typical story that you put out there. And I think I think it's the I think it's extremely relatable, you know. In terms mm-hmm. of his experience to others, and I think he did a great job of of portraying um, who he is, and and I hope people really get the interplay um, around not only the drug and and looking at the drug, but around sort of his life and like you said, even the boredom and the opportunity and just the whole picture, right? Um, you know, one thing Mom said at the end. Also, I want to speak to. You know, she says, what do you do if your kid's an adult? I mean, you can't put him in jail or whatever. Um, Well, that's not what you do. You know, we've been taught that the only way to approach someone with addiction is, you know, sort of this strong arm interventionist lock them down technique. And and while jail and all that certainly can be helpful in some circumstances and motivating or whatever – the human connection, as much as sort of the brain may start steering away from you and diving into drugs exclusively, which is what your striatum does is it sort of identifies that as the primary reward. The idea of maintaining intimacy and maintaining closeness and maintaining engagement is the critical factor. And you don't even have to focus primarily on the drug. You might – there's a million little steps that you can go when a person is in any spot that can make things a little better and a little safer. And you just start chewing away, man. Even when I start treatment or counseling over here, we don't – sometimes we might start with drugs, but sometimes we might start with supports or sometimes we might start with using less or sometimes we might start with you know nutritional supplements to offset drug craving or whatever the heck it is. But you don't always have to tackle just stop using <laughs> That is the fucking hardest way to, to, to penetrate, you know, somebody's experience with addiction, you know, they want to get better too. So mutually you can collaborate and find out little steps in the right direction that they can take to be better, you know? My, well, I wish I could have met to, you, Glenn. I wish I could have. No, I wish I could have met him too, man. And that's, you know, I do harm reduction practice over here. I'm not in an app. I've worked abstinence based. I've worked methadone. I've done these different things. And I tell you that the fundamentals of counseling in terms of engagement is where you want to be with addiction. You know, you don't want to come in there with a preset you know, thing of goals, or you just have to not ever use again. That is not where you want to start. You want to start where they are and at all costs, not, excuse me, not at all costs, but you want to definitely not at all costs actually, but you want to maintain that engagement, right? And you want to be helpful. And that doesn't necessarily mean, Hey, I'm staying up with you because you're potentially overdosing. Dude, that is way beyond the scope of acceptable practice for the layman to be doing, you know, every day with someone using heroin, um, but man, there's treatments available now. This doesn't have to keep happening. Um, you know, so anyway, um, let me just, I just want to make sure, 
Um, let's see. Notice. Oh, yeah. We talked about the journal being the truth. Um, I love that mom gets it. Um, talked about the mission of sort of it's not about, you know, not using but safety. Let's say the role of Benzo. I'm sorry. I'm just wanting to make sure I get this list. Abstinence is no longer the only option. That's a great that's a great message out there. By the way, when you talk about uh, medication assisted therapies that would have been potentially life saving here. Um, so Suboxone or Subutex or, or whatever. Um, these things have wonderful outcomes, right? So I, I, you know, I'll treat a patient and they'll come in and, you know, withdrawal or whatever, struggling. They're still, they're just like Matt running all around, doing all that crazy stuff. They got, they get on, you know, medication assisted treatment where they're taking like a Suboxone or something like that. You would never know the same person is sitting in your office within two weeks, right? Mm. All that, all that seeking, you know, can potentially drop away. Um, the job is there. The, 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 you know, the intensity, the lying, it just, it just vanishes. I mean, it's like a freaking miracle. So if anybody's out there and they're like, we, oh, and we should get into, I do want to talk about a little bit about treatment with you, but, um, but so if anyone's out there hearing this, start where they're at. And sometimes the easiest place is simply satiating the drug craving safely and then working on bigger and better things. Now, real quick treatment. <laughs> what is your, you know, Typically, we look at treatment as sort of you go to this place, these these centers, right? By the way, I I, I don't agree with any of that stuff. I mean, for forty thousand dollars, I was looking at it. You know, they had a list of the ten best rehabs, right? And right at the top is like, uh, you know, whatever, Mal, you know, Malibu this or. You know, it shows like sort of this lap pool and I'm like, oh man, for 40 grand, I'll go build my own freaking pool, right? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So, so the idea that that's, these... why, that's why I'm so irritated that college is so expensive. I'm like, why do I walk through the student union and it looks like a grand Hyatt? Dude, the, the, the whole thing, the whole, the whole approach on sort of these larger, you know, and, and even college, right? Hopefully that's sort of breaking down as a result of the internet, but, but these treatment centers, which sort of. You know, you're going to go here and you're going to go, you're going to learn these skills and then you're going to return and you're going to go to your 12 step meetings. That is generally crap. Uh, okay. And I say that because it's one thing to stabilize. Okay. And sure, you can go to these places to stabilize. First of all, stabilization or being drug free or away from drugs does not take forty fucking thousand dollars. I'll send you an Antarctica for eight thousand dollars and you can have the same experience <laughs> and you'll be away from drugs. Honestly, I, I mean, I, you, we could send you in the middle of the Pacific, you know, some island, uh, uh, you know, send you to Kwajalein Island in the middle by midway and you definitely will get sober there. Right. I mean, there, there's all sorts of ways to do that. And these ideas of these, these elaborate centers that are so much money that you're supposedly going to infuse yourself with these skills. First of all, you're stabilizing in the first two weeks. You're fucking out of your mind anyway. But but that you're going to take these skills and you're going to go back and, you know, oh, I'm ready to go is crap compared to real strong outpatient support, home-based care, wraparound care, comprehensive, involving family, involving all the dynamics that are affecting these people's life and sort of restructuring that in their natural environment versus, hey, you're over here for a time, you know, somehow the magic's going to happen if you're in, you know, Malibu or whatever, you know, great sunrises, and then you're going to return to fucking Oshkosh and your life is supposed to be better. Does that make any sense to anybody? And this is why a lot of the guys who I sort of deal with when it comes to, um, you know, these policy things, you know, this stuff is crazy. And now there's so much you really want to do. Hey, I got your sequel, man. You ever think about doing a movie on treatment, right? There's a few of them. 
You know, I, well, you have, there's one that's like, um, I forget what it's called, either Beyond Recovery or whatever. A, a guy, a guy named Greg Horvath did it, but he's sort of anti 12 step. You know, I'm not necessarily anti anything. I'm, I'm sort of anti someone leveraging their house to get clean for 30 days. Definitely. I'm definitely anti that. Um, debt doesn't do anything wonderful for your addiction or well-being, right? Yeah. So, so that saying that, what what is your sort of thing on all that? Or I'm I'm just kind of, and I'm not trying to load you up here and and sort of. No, get I mean, outcome, I'm. But... It's really interesting to hear your perspective on it, and you oh, definitely yeah. know more about it than I do. My my kind of takeaway was it wasn't like Matt had choices between a twelve step program or something more enlightened. Yeah. He right. had no choice. Yeah. He he didn't have anything being offered up to him. Right. And, and there was also no understanding that he would need more help than uh, you know one stay at an inpatient program. It, yeah. it, there was a real lack of understanding and I don't just mean in his family, I mean in the world at the time. Mm -hmm. Um and certainly in his world that this was a long-term problem that would need long-term care. Bingo. And that's what it takes. It takes the entire redesign of a person's life. And and the idea that you're going to go to the someplace for 45 days and then return. And then what are you supposed to do? Build that on your own? Or you get a sponsor and sort of they help you, I guess, would, would be the... But if that's the case, why are you dealing with a sponsor? Why not get a nice team approach where you have a good comprehensive outpatient addiction, count, addiction counselor? You have good support. Um, to give you an idea, in, in like the type of treatment we do over here, again, everybody coming is coming in the door. I, I you know, ideally, I want moms in there and friends in there and brothers in there and sisters in there and accountability in there, and it's a network, right? And we and because it does take that type of life restructuring. So, so spend your forty thousand dollars on sort of bundling up the right resources and building that in the person's own environment. I mean, even in Oshkosh, right? Matt's over there. I guarantee you that if you that there were resources around there, and of course he's certainly seeking drugs at the whole time and this whole thing. But ideally, in terms of some of those sobriety, and also he needed probably some good psychiatric care. But um, but there there's always opportunities. There's always groups of people out there. It doesn't have to be job based, which is always a protective factor. But you can find groups of people with similar interests or types of things that you. I don't care if it's volunteering at a nursing home, man, or or whatever it is. You can find things that you can be a part of that will can enrich your life. You know, and that in life enrichment is offsetting. But again, of course, we still have that drug dependency issue and we don't have any kind of thing to deal with that necessarily. But but during those periods of absence, you know, well, volunteering in a nursing home would have been a great way to score drugs. I'm sure. Is what Actually, you're thought, right. But... That's a terrible idea. I take that one back for sure. <laughs> but Never no, mind. I mean, I think don't listen I to think me. it is really complicated. And I think what's what I hope is happening is that people are going to start realizing that this isn't some sort of destructive choice and that it's mm. something, you know, we don't blame people who smoke four packs a day when they get lung cancer. Exactly. We feel sorry for them. And exactly. I think that it doesn't matter if you participated in your own uh, addiction and getting to whatever point you are in that you need some help, you mm -hmm. should still be treated well. Yes. And remember, you know, another myth in addiction is they talk about, I've just actually heard someone say this and I love this line. You know, they talk about, oh, you know, it's a, it's a disease of control and you've lost control. You haven't lost control. Your definitely, your control and choice making is certainly impaired. 
right? Ultimately, it's definitely impaired, but there are still some mechanisms of control and choice and all sorts of things in there. Sure, you may you may be so habituated on I seek the drug or whatever, but there are also little tweaks you can make in that process. Um, you know, one of the things we do a lot in counseling is sober scheduling, right? So ahead of time, you're using sort of the thinking parts of your brain to sort of design a day that keeps you away from booze, right? If every time I go walking down the beach here, I stop at this great little bar and grab a frozen Mai Tai, you know, and I'm, I'm you know, walking back and forth, that, that sort of habituates. Well, I find that if I don't put my credit card in my pocket, um, you know, we're, we're doing exercise walks, I'm not going to buy those stupid Mai Tais, right? And that, Now and that, you're just taunting me with this Hawaii thing. Oh, my God. So nice. So try an out. I would do an out island. No, I live on Oahu. It's, it's like the crazy big city. It's conducive to addiction. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so all these little patterns can form up. We are creatures of habit. As human beings, we just do these same little loop-de-loops and we call it a day. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're ultimately all about these patterns and, and we're not living in a world anymore where we have these diverse, you know, experiences with, with family in and out of our lives. I mean, maybe we are if we're, we're healthy and things are going well. Um, but, but yeah, society sort of sets it up in terms of this competitive nature and you earn your money. And then I'm not sure what you're supposed to do after you earn your money when you go home. I guess you go to the gym. Is that the new thing? Yoga. What do you, what do you do? I mean, what is the, what is the diverse life fulfilling experience? Right. So when you don't have those, man, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, so, yeah. so yeah, go ahead. Um, well, no, I'm just, I'm happy to hear that you, uh, that you liked it. Oh man, I did like it. I'd like, I didn't expect to like it. I, but, but I, I actually didn't because I'm so sort of jaded on conventional treatment and addiction. I love the humanity in it. I love the innocence in it. I love the, the, I, I'm bummed about the hopes and dreams that are lost in it. You know, I'm bummed that this kid is one of so many you know, countless numbers of kids that are, are dying just like this. People don't know. And even worse, you have people saying things like, oh, you know, they get on methadone or suboxone. That's just another drug. That is a deadly thought or a deadly, like a deadly statement. You, you kill people with statements like that. So, so I hope everybody who hears this can at least move to Matt being alive in, in the name of his thing, safety, stability, life, and then let's go after whatever we want to do. And I bet that kid would have thrived, man. He had such capacity. Um, man, it burns me up. That's why, by the way, this is why I'm into like <laughs> drug policy reform is because this stuff freaking breaks my heart. I know. You know? I know. It is. It is heartbreaking. Um, you know, it's, it, I've done, um, I've done a bunch of work for the Smithsonian Channel. Uh, and one of the films I did was about 9-11. And yeah. I talked to a lot of people who had donated um, things from their family members who died on 9-11. Mm-hmm. And they had said, um, well, you know, my brother will never have kids, but I like the idea that his like college sweatshirt and his briefcase are in the Smithsonian. Yeah. And that's how also I feel about this film and Matt is that um, he's the kind of guy, every single person I talked to who knew him said, oh, God, he would have loved this. Like He would have oh, yeah. loved this. He 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 would mm-hmm. just... Um, have been so pleased that somebody cared and read his words. And so we felt really comfortable. It worked, Matt. Your journals, they made it. That's so awesome. Yeah. So I love that, you know, feeling like there's, um, 
like in some small way, this project extends his life. Yes. I love, that's my favorite part too. Actually. I love that out of his story can be help for others. I even, even when I do this, you know, the crazy, this crazy podcast, even if like a few people hear it and they like back off their views of abstinence or they recognize the idea that they need to be engaged and not, and not lose their kid into anger. And, you know, sure. You might see these problems you know, that are, that are destroying them and, and, but know that man stabilizing potentially on something like medication assisted therapy can be so wonderful and can give time and access to these folks who are just spending every day in and out trying to seek drugs and do these types of things. And, ah, man. So I was going to, I actually reminded me of the whole thing going on in the Philippines where they now like sort of shoot addicts in the head and, you know, that sort of treatment. I'm wondering what the end game in there. Apparently there are 3 million um, ice or methamphetamine addicts in the Philippines. His goal was a hundred thousand dead in his first year. Um, Will that be the success? Is that the end game? We've killed 100,000 citizens who are addicts. Okay, we're done. I'm not quite sure where they're going, but the Philippines is going to wake up one day. And uh, I bring this up because I was just speaking to a group and there are some Filipino kids in there and, and, and they're going to wake up one day and they're going to realize that the killing keeps on going, that addiction is very normal in society, that drugs are normal, that these things need to be dealt with smartly and safely. That the idea of a drug-free society not only is ridiculous, but has never existed on the planet Earth. So we have to do better. And this idea of abstinence at all costs, um, that's that's deadly. So um, not that I feel too strongly about any of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't tell. I get burnt out okay. on my passions, dude. It kind of like overwhelms me sometimes. But so, so Molly, anything else – that we should talk about in the film or that you want to talk about where, you know, again, we could do the normal wrap up, but is there anything more that we should cover? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really, you know, I feel like, um, it's my life's mission to sort of get it out there and got a lot of people to see it. So, okay. um, Good. so we're, we're looking, we're, we're figuring out a distribution model right now. We're taking it at some film festivals. There's one coming up this Sunday in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. There's one, uh, the weekend of October 21st in Greenbelt, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And there's another one in, um, I guess, November 9th in mm -hmm. Wisconsin. So, um, which are, is all on our, the film's website. If people want to look at that, you can also see a, uh, like an extended trailer for the film on there. What's the film's is, website? Yeah. What's it's, the website? Um, it's written-off.com written-off.com. Are you also available at these, at these screenings? Are you going to be there to answer questions and things like that? Yep. Okay. Don't forget about yep. the safety and stability thing first and foremost part. Well, what, you know, I'm taking that all on board, please. Honestly, tell these guys when you talk to them, cause, cause they don't know what to do. I mean, you know, ab worry about abstinence later right now, no more death. Yeah. No, that's great advice. <laughs> that's great advice. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Oh, it's been great having you on. And again, if we if there's anything more we want to continue in the discussion, um, I wanted to specifically thank um, Matt's mom, who's out there, and I hope hears this and and her story and her and again, Families for Sensible Drug Policy is a great sort of harm reduction based group to sort of turn to. It's online. It's on Facebook. 
Um, there's a lot of parents that have had this experience, and it's it's getting less and less necessary as better and better treatments are available. So, um, yeah, let's keep going with that. And, and please let me know if there's anything I can do to support you in the future. Oh, well, thank you. Matt's mom is my hero, too. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. And and even if she ever wanted to reach out or even come on the podcast or just anything, I just that's that's why we're well, doing it. Well, she might like to. She's actually publishing all of his journals in a book. So, um, oh, man, he might like to talk to you. I, I'm I'm right here for her. So, um, again, oh, thank okay. you. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, keep up the great work, Molly. I appreciate it. Thanks, Glenn. You too. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.